Good morning, church. My name is Jess, and this morning we have two Bible readings, which will be up on the screen behind me. So the first one is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, and then the second one will be Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So starting in Isaiah chapter 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With his breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then the second Bible reading is in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her age, in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Good morning, everyone. Okay, keep your Bibles open at uh, the passage from Luke, Luke chapter 1, and you can scan uh, for the talk outline if you haven't already um, done that. I wonder what you would consider um, are some of the most important announcements that have actually occurred in your life, in your lifetime. Uh, For some who've just completed um, Year 12, it might be the announcement of one's ATAR score and the opportunities or otherwise that that may open for the future. In terms of family, I think probably um, one of the most important announcements is always the coming birth of one's first child. Highly significant and accompanied by great joy. But then there are the announcements that 
um, have more significance um, for human history overall. Britain's declaration of war with Germany and the six years that of conflict that caused World War II, the worst conflict in human history. Or maybe one might think of the significance of space travel and the announcement of setting foot on the moon. You know it well, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, which of course has led to all the satellites that we now have in the sky, um, which enables incredible communication amongst us across the globe. But I judge that the announcement uh, with the greatest significance of all for humankind and human history is the one that we've read about today from the Gospel of Luke. That is the announcement about the birth of Jesus. And I think we've become sort of so familiar with the story at Christmas time that it's easy to lose sight of its really stupendous, stupendous nature of the announcement. Now in Luke's Gospel there is another birth announcement just before. Immediately it precedes, it immediately precedes this one, that of the announcement to Elizabeth of the birth of John the Baptist. And as we shall see, the two announcements are very much connected. Comparing some of the details will serve to highlight how significant the birth of Jesus really is. Our passage opens in verse 26 with a reference to the fact that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant and the angel Gabriel appears again, this time to Mary, a virgin who is betrothed to a man named Joseph who is a descendant of King David's line. Gabriel uh, declares her to be a recipient of God's favour and that God is with her. Now Mary is probably aware that statements like this in the Old Testament uh, often signalled very important events in Israel's history and hence why I think she's at first a little troubled. But after some reassurance from Gabriel, he goes on to announce some details about Jesus' birth and I want to highlight today just briefly, draw attention to four things I think in this passage of great importance. The first has to do with the significance of Jesus' person. In verse 28 to 32 we read, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Of course, the announcement of a child to come immediately raises an obvious question for Mary because she is a virgin. Betrothed to Joseph, yes, but not yet married. And so Gabriel explains further in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now this language of overshadowing 
is an Old Testament way of referring to the direct presence and activity of God in an event. For example, if you go back to Exodus 40, when uh, Moses completes the building of the first tabernacle for Israel, we're told that God's presence is seen in a cloud that covered over, that is, overshadowed the tabernacle. This direct presence and action of God in Jesus' birth is further highlighted when comparing what is said about John the Baptist in this chapter. For Luke has put this chapter together very carefully to show clearly the greater significance of Jesus' person. Note the following in this table. I hope you can see that. In 1.15, John is said to be great in the sight of the Lord. In 1.32, Jesus is said simply to be great. And believe it or not, that's a way of referring to um, greater status because there's no qualification at all. In 1.76, John is said to be a prophet of the Most High. But Jesus, in 1.32, is said to be son of the Most High. Most High being an Old Testament way of referring to God himself. In 1.15, Gabriel tells Elizabeth that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, even before he's born. But here, in 1.35, Jesus is not just filled with the Spirit. He is actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. It comes via the direct activity and power of God's Spirit. All this is designed to highlight the incredible significance of Jesus' person. He would not only be a human being, as John the Baptist, but he is also the divine Son of God. And friends, that's why the truth of the virgin birth is so important. Three times in this passage, Mary is referred to as a virgin. That's no accident. The virgin birth is not just a quaint ancient story, a storytelling way of testifying that Jesus was somehow special. It goes to the very heart of who Jesus is, the fully human and yet fully divine Son of God. Of course, the rest of the Gospel, and with the other Gospels as well, we're going to testify to this truth, particularly through Jesus' miracles, not simply of healing, but control over the very forces of creation itself, the wind and the sea, which of course still threaten our human existence today, don't they? As is very evident just recently with Cyclone Jasper and the incredible impact it's had on the area around Cairns. The ultimate testimony to Jesus' divinity rests with his resurrection from the dead. God's stamp and confirmation of Jesus' identity as the divine Son of God. And the importance of getting Jesus' identity right, if you like, for him in history, is seen here by the announcement of the nature of Jesus' mission. In verse 32, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus will fulfil the great promises given in the Old Testament to Israel of a Messiah, of their Messiah who follows David's line and establishes his reign and kingdom forever. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, God promises King David that his house, his throne and his kingdom will be established forever. So the significance of Jesus' person rests with the stupendous nature of his mission to establish an eternal kingdom for God's people. Now the reference in verse 33 to Jacob's descendants take us right back to where God's plan of salvation began with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, which we have been looking at in the last uh, few weeks leading up to today. Jesus' mission is to bring fulfilment to all God's promises in the Old Testament to bring about a kingdom that would endure forever. The passage we read earlier from Isaiah 11 speaking about a shoot that would rise up from the stump of Jesse, King David's father. It's just one of a number looking forward to the establishment of this kingdom. Such a task, however, is beyond any sinful human being, even John the Baptist. For to accomplish such a task, human sin and rebellion needed to be dealt with. And even greater, human death must be overcome. Both of these, however, are accomplished through the sinless life, death and resurrection of the Son of God. His sinless life meant there was nothing that he needed to be atoned for. His death as the divine Son of God took the punishment and judgment of God upon himself in our place. And his resurrection from the dead, ascension to the right hand of God the Father, began the establishment of an eternal hope for anyone who would give their life to Jesus and follow him. I say began, friends, because... Um, as yet we only see the kingdom's partial completion. Jesus promised to return and complete the job, bringing about a new heaven and new earth and the transformation of human life without sin and suffering. It's a wonderful gift to anyone who would turn from ignorance and rebellion and seek to follow Jesus. You don't have to do anything to earn a place in God's kingdom. Indeed, you cannot. You simply have to decide to accept God's gift and follow Jesus. So now, we simply look forward today for Jesus' return to bring about the completion of his eternal kingdom. Now I'm sure Mary would have had um, a few initial doubts that what Gabriel was was announcing um, was in fact true or possible. And of course 
after some 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection today, many see the prospect of Jesus' return as no more than religious hype, wishful thinking, a fantasy. But Gabriel is aware of the incredible nature of what he has just announced to Mary. And so he seeks to assure Mary of the certainty of God's promise. In verse 36 he says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So Gabriel reminds Mary that her relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Yet earlier in chapter 1, in verse 18, Zechariah, her husband, states that he is old and his wife is well along in years. In other words, Elizabeth is way too old to have a baby. She is unable to conceive. And yet by God's promise, she is now six months pregnant. Elizabeth's pregnancy is a sign and testimony to Mary and still to us today of the wonderful truth stated in verse 37. No word from God will ever fail. By any human standard, God had already done what seemed to be impossible. Should there be any doubt that the one who created the whole universe out of nothing, by simply the power of his word, would keep his promise to Mary? None whatever. The same can be said even more for us today who wait for Jesus to come a second time. For we have seen the extraordinary life of Jesus portrayed in the Gospels. We've seen Jesus' own claim to be God's son and the testimony of the apostles, of of his apostles and many others to such truth. We know how the extraordinary promise to establish this eternal kingdom has been accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. Is there any reason at all to doubt that Jesus will return as he said he would and complete the job? Well, of course, some might say, well, it's been 2,000 years, a long time to us. But of course, as the Apostle Peter states in his letter, only a day or two to the Lord. The incredible nature of Jesus' mission has begun. It continues to be established across the whole world as people from every tribe and nation are drawn into the company of God's people. All those who turn in repentance to Jesus and seek to follow him. Will Jesus return? Of course he will. For no word of God will ever fail. What a joy it will be to see that day. By this time, I think Mary believes the promise of God declared through his angel Gabriel. She may not have any idea how he will do it. Just as I have no idea how Jesus will return in such a way that he'll be revealed to the whole world at once. No idea how God's going to do that but he will. 
And so the passage ends appropriately today with what I've called the response to God's favour. I put it in these terms because I don't think we should overlook the very first words Gabriel says to Mary in verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was highly favoured because God had chosen her just as an ordinary woman of no particular status to bear the entrance of the divine Son of God into the world to accomplish the extraordinary plan of God to save people for himself and establish a perfect kingdom forever. She may not have quite felt that way yet, but it was never less true. God's favour had come upon her purely by his grace. And friends, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus here today, that is the way you should see yourself. As a recipient of God's wonderful favour. Regardless of what life might be like for you at present, be encouraged because God's grace has shined upon you. Through his grace in his death and resurrection of Jesus and his gift of his Holy Spirit to each follower of Jesus, you are extraordinarily favoured. As with Mary, the Lord is with you as the Holy Spirit lives in you. And if you're not yet a believer here today, can I be so bold as to ask what is holding you back? To know the unconditional forgiveness of God, acceptance into his kingdom of his people, just as you are, and looking forward to the completion of God's eternal perfect kingdom is simply way beyond, way beyond anything this world might offer. Well, such favour can have only one response. Uh, there should be one more there, he says. A life of humble obedience. Our passage ends with verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled in me. Then the angel left her. However God wishes to use her, she is in the end the Lord's servant. And brothers and sisters, so are we. For Mary, the journey will not be straightforward. At times she will not understand why Jesus behaves the way he does. She will get upset with him for what she perceives is a lack of care for the family and she will experience the tragic loss of her child in a terrible death on a cross. but she will always be the Lord's servant 
and this is no less true of us. Human obedience to the one, or humble obedience to the one who has shown us such favour, given us nothing short of an incredible hope. That is the only appropriate response. All of us will have different paths to follow, but they will all lead to the same end, a life of eternal bliss in the company of God the Father and his divine human Son. So as we come again to the celebration of God's great promise and gift, may you this day be able to to say with full conviction, may your word to me be fulfilled. For be assured of this, no word from God will ever fail. Let's pray, shall we? Our great God and Father, we do thank you for this incredible announcement that we see today from the angel Gabriel. We thank you for this stupendous promise. We thank you because we know so much more now than Mary ever did of your plan to save people for yourself and to set up an eternal kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that we can have full assurance that this will indeed take place because your promise is always certain and your word never fails. Help us, Lord, to continue to just live in humble obedience to the Lord Jesus as we wait for that to be completed. And we ask it in his name. Amen.